Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Welcome to episode 71 of The Storytellers, where Deborah Thomas enlightens us with her novel, Lose. Deborah has won multiple awards for her novel, including contemporary fiction and the award for multicultural fiction. I'm so excited to talk to Deborah today because she's a writer, she is a teacher, she's an immigrant rights activist. Deborah, welcome to The Storytellers Microphone. Oh, I am thrilled to be here, Grace. I have wanted to meet you face to face for so long, and this is a wonderful moment. <laughs> Thank you. I, I agree. It's been a joy following you on social media and following the journey of your book, Lose. And we'll talk about that as well as your upcoming novel. But I'm a coming someone who comes out of an educational background myself, and I know the impact of teaching. But for you, it had an impact not only on your students, but you're a teacher became an advocate, and then a novelist. Tell us about that journey, please. Well, this was actually back in the 1990s, mid to late 90s, when I was teaching English as a second language to adults. Uh, and most of my students were from Mexico and Central America. And around that same time, I was reading in the LA Times about the deaths in the desert. Every week, they were increasing, increasing. And it was a time when um, the Mexican economy had plummeted and m m more immigrants than usual were trying to come across. So our government responded with Operation Gatekeeper, where they uh, wanted to build more fences, high-tech lighting. They were trying to um, prevention through deterrence, but it didn't work. It was pushing them further east through the desert deserts and they were dying by increasing numbers. And since I knew my students' stories, what had compelled them to leave, nobody wants to leave their home. Um, I was moved to get involved. Um, my philosophy is it's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. I have a little plaque over here that says that. And so I got involved in immigrant rights uh, with Amnesty International. I got to visit um, border links, uh, Nogales, Mexico, Nogales, Arizona, meet people on both sides of the border. I worked with Water Stations Project, Father Richard Estrada. We went out into the desert and left water that we marked with a blue flag. Um, and so I had all of these experiences and I really wanted to share, I wanted people to understand what I had learned, the perspective I had seen and experienced. So I um, sat down to write a novel and I kind of did what I call the Barbara Kingsolver approach because she often writes about um, a white woman and a journey she's going on, but she will weave in issues of social justice. In some cases it was Central American refugees. Uh, it could be about the environment. And so I, I thought, well, I'm going to do the same. But uh, I started writing and it just fell flat. It didn't have the passion and the urgency that I was looking for. So I took a class at UCLA Extension novel writing class with Gail Brandeis, who won um, the Barbara Kingsolver Award for Fiction of Social Justice. And in her class, I started writing in the voice of a young Mexican girl named Alma, whose father was a migrant farm worker who went missing. And it just flowed out of me. Um, I was encouraged by my teacher and my uh, fellow classmates, and I just kept going. And before I published it, I uh, sought out 
Alma Luz Villanueva, who is an American Book Award writer, Latina, who has lived in Mexico for the last 16 years, I think, although she's originally from the U.S. And I wanted her to read my manuscript to check it for, you know, was it genuine? Did it feel as authentic as it could be? And I, I got her blessing. So that's what led to Luz. What an amazing story on so many levels. First of all, you bring all of our attention to this constantly talked about issue within our country and through all of the Latin American countries as they come through Mexico. So I, I thank you for that. And also for the remembrance that nobody decides to just leave their homeland because it feels like a good idea. And the stories are just so treacherous. You also did your due diligence on making sure you had the voice correct. That's something I'm glad you brought up because I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. You know, you and I are both Caucasian women. In my novel, The Eves, I have Latino voices. I have um, African-American voices. You write in a very, very vibrant character of Alma. Um, so you did the due diligence. Have you gotten any negative feedback on writing in a voice that was not originally your own? Well, actually... Um as a, a debut novelist, I was like anyone, I was nervous about how my novel would be received in general. And it was going to be published in June 2020. Well, it was in January, February that the American Dirt controversy and all of the cultural appropriation uh, came into the news. And so I was really terrified about my book coming out. In fact, my publisher uh, reread it slowly to, to just to, to say, you know, I support you 100%. She felt, uh, and Alma Luz Villanueva kept saying, don't worry, don't worry. It's very genuine. However, one or two of my first reviews on Goodreads broached that subject. I think one person, you know, made a comment about, um, you know, that I didn't have the right to write this. And I respect their opinion. In fact, I'm, I'm a supporter of own voices. And I am glad that what happened um, in early 2020 has changed the face of publishing. And there's so much more diversity. But I also believe, actually, Reina Grande, a great Latina writer said something to the effect that any writer can write whatever they want as long as they do it with respect, integrity, and responsibility. And so that's how I, I felt that I had approached it. And thankfully, I didn't get any backlash or anything um, extreme. Uh, for the most part, uh, I got a, a very warm reception. And that's wonderful. I love the third part of that about responsibility. I have um, several friends, as, as you and I both do, across uh, diverse backgrounds. And we were having this conversation recently, and we both, or the two of us who were actually having it at the time, just thought how incredibly boring it would be if all of our novels were all about white people, in my case, you know, or mm -hmm. that we didn't reflect diversity. So I, I like that aspect of respect. Let's go a little deeper, though, into Luz, which I see over your shoulder has one of the most beautiful, elegant covers, uh, you know, this beautiful calla lily with the candle um, in the middle, just stunning cover. And it's really a love story, a family love story, and a love story between a father and a daughter. So talk to us about Alma and the character Luz. Well, Alma and her her father, who was a migrant farm worker, 
supported her love of education. Alma loves math and she wants to be a math teacher. And many fathers in rural and poor areas, when their daughters are around 13, 14, they're pulled out of school. But in Alma's case, her father supported her, wanted her, supported her dreams. Of course, she can become a teacher. So when he disappears, not only is her beloved father gone, but her dream has ended and she has to leave school to work in the streets to try to help support the rest of her family. But her and her sister decide to go on a journey to find um, find out more about what might have happened to their to their father. Um, now, Luz is her daughter. Now, Luz means light in Spanish. And she names her baby girl Luz for a very specific reason, that if you read the novel, uh, there's a very touching moment where this is um, her, she decides on this name. So it's a, it's a journey story. Um, along the way, they meet a young man named Manuel from Guatemala, and she falls in love with him. So there's a, a romantic love story. But as you said, it's a story of family love, of uh, a mother, I mean, a daughter and her father, and of sisters, and then ultimately a mother and daughter with Alma and Luce. You do such a wonderful job, I think, in the novel of uh, both portraying the love and doing the journey. And you had quite the journey as well. You did not, you weren't a teacher for decades. You have transformed yourself over the last few years. Talk about your road to becoming a storyteller, not only through what we've already touched on, but uh, you didn't have a career for a career outside of the home, if you will, for a long time. Um, I was an RN for the first 10 years of my adult life. I, um, I went to the local hospital school of nursing. I didn't go to college. Um, I wanted to, but just didn't work out. So I went to the local a three-year hospital school of nursing and I was an ICU nurse. And uh, when I first moved from uh, upstate New York to Los Angeles, my my husband at the time, my first husband, um, went to UCLA Law School and I worked at the medical center, but I took fiction writing classes there. I loved, I always wanted to be a writer. And um, then when my children, I have two children, when they were uh, old enough and in school, I went back to college. It took me seven years. I got a bachelor's and a master's in English. And, uh, and my, my first job was teaching ESL. I also taught high school. Um, when I, I eventually got a single subject credential and taught high school here in, in LA, and many of my students were also, their families were from Mexico and Central America. So that contributed a lot to the writing of the book, which I did a couple decades later. So, uh, you know, we often write about experiences from our past that we integrate into what we sit down to write years later. So you said you always wanted to be a writer. When did you first know that? I was a voracious reader. That's really where it started. I mean, I, I lost myself in books from a very early age and I made up stories, um, didn't necessarily write them down, but I made them up and had a, a very vivid imagination. Um, but I think it was in my 20s when I tried writing some short stories that weren't very good, <laughs> of course. Um, and, and ironically, I wrote one short story that, um, oh, I probably shouldn't say this on the air, but my sister <laughs> desperately needed a short story for a class, and I gave it to her. And without knowing it, the professor put it into a, the local con their school contest, and it won. <laughs> Wonderful. She sent me the $50. So <laughs> that was my- So my, it all worked out. Yeah. <laughs> 
But yeah, I mean, I always knew I wanted to write and I, I uh, took classes off and on over the years, but life got in the way, you know, divorce, raising children, um, trying to build a career as a teacher. And uh, it all couldn't have happened now at a better time, though. You know, I'm now retired and so I can focus mostly on my writing. So, And you have, you have a second book coming out and that book has an interesting story as well. It had one title and now it's entitled Josie and Vic. Yeah, well, it's actually had a couple titles. An early, early draft, it was called Blue Flags, um, which is it has to do with the blue flags that are planted in the desert, but it represents people um, looking out for others and reaching out to help others. Um, and then it was called Pangea. Uh, that was what it was called in my mind as I was working on it, because I used the metaphor of Pangea, which is the supercontinent um, that was all one landmass, but it's broken apart. And my character, when she's young, feels that her world is pulling apart because her father has abandoned them and her older brother, Vic, who she adores, is leaving for Vietnam. The novel itself takes place um, when they're in their 40s and Vic experiences a devastating tragedy and Josie leaves her life on the East Coast and comes to Los Angeles to be with him um, to try to help him through. And uh, the real focus of the novel is that the father comes back into the picture and Josie's uh, rebellious 19-year-old daughter who's a singer-songwriter living in Seattle comes into the picture. So it's, and what I wanted to do underlying this is take a fragmented family and give them a chance to reconnect despite their differences. Because at this point in our country, we all need to find ways to connect in our country, in our communities, as you did in your beautiful novel, The Eves, in our families, as we need to do over these holidays. Um, and, and to try to connect with how we're alike, um, to try to open doors to conversation, not conflict. And so that's what I was trying to also show in Josie and Vic. So what was the inspiration? Was it the pulse you took of the nation and families? Because this is a very complex story that's coming out. Well, originally I had written a short story called Pangea. And it was about Josie and Vic when she's 13 and he's 19 and he's going to go to Vietnam. And I loved these two characters. They stayed with me forever and ever. And when I decided I wanted to try to write about the immigrant situation, I thought, well, maybe I'll use these characters and Josie will come and Vic maybe somehow she'll learn about it. That's what I was referring to when I said it just didn't because I realized that wasn't what that novel was about. Although there's there's going to be aspects of um, of border issues in a part of it. Um, it was really about this family and their disconnections and reconnections. And so, yes, when I sat down to see what, what can I make out of the shell of a novel that I had had, but focus on this family and their interrelationships and how I could bring them together, even though they still had differences. And so, yeah, that's kind of what moved me to, to recreate it. And I also wrote it in a way that there's um, alternating points of view between Josie and Vic. There's a chapter of letters, a chapter of emails, there's song lyrics, because I wanted different forms to create a whole. Uh, kind of mirror what my message is. I, I'm very, very excited to read Josie and Vic. When does it come out? April 11th, which is my dad's birthday, you know, and that was when I, when I was given that date, I said, oh, that's perfect. That was my dad's birthday. April 11th is uh, with She Writes Press. That's when it comes out. 
Fabulous. And She Writes Press is such a wonderful supporter of authors. So um, I'm really excited that you're doing uh, it with She Writes Press. They're a great organization. How was writing the second book different than the first for you? Um, well, in some ways it was smoother. Um, I had Maybe I had more confidence, but I also, talking about She Writes Press, I became involved in a small writing group with a few other She Writes Press sisters. And this was during the pandemic. And we all helped each other along um, as we each wrote another book during the pandemic. And, and each one of us has, has either published recently or is going to publish or in the, within the next year. And so that was helpful too, because too, I haven't usually submitted it to you know, a, a few people to look at and give me their opinion along the way. Usually I write, keep it to myself until I feel it's done. But this was a great experience. And I have to say it did help. It did help. So this was a critique group? Yes. Mm -hmm. Did yeah. you also use beta readers? Um, when it was finished, I did use a few, a couple of beta readers. Yeah, I did that as well when it was completely done after I had revised with, with the help of my critique group. Mm -hmm. I have not used a critique group. And I think that even though, you know, I have four books out and we're all used to having reviews, I would think that would be a, a, a more daunting task for me. It, I thought the same thing because I, um, you know, I have very strong feelings about what I'm writing and why I'm writing. And, and it was a great experience for me to learn um, sometimes listen, because that's really something that you, you might need to step back and go, you know, they've got a good point there. And other times I could say, well, no, that's not what I'm trying to do. And I'm going to stay with what, you know, what, what I thought. I learned an awful lot from working with them. We're still working together. So it's really exciting. So you have a second book coming out relatively quickly after your first. Is there a third? Um, well, actually, I'm already thinking about number three. Um, and I've written a couple chapters, but it's going to involve another journey, a young woman, well, she's like in her like 38, who has gone through a difficult um, experience, and she's going to go on a journey, but will be detoured when she comes across the Prior Mountain Wild Mustangs. Now I'm a horse lover, and um, it's going to have to do with our, and it's it's amazing how similar in many ways the conflicts are, like with the border issues, with the wild mustangs in our country, and those who think that we have too many and they need to be gotten rid of, and those who support them. And so I am doing a lot of research with that, and that's really fun. And I am taking my time with this one. I am in no hurry. I want it to have many layers, um, and I'm creating other characters and uh, besides the main character, and I'm having fun with it, but I am in no hurry to get it you know, out quickly. I love that you're also uh, focusing a bit on a cause, if you will, with the Wild Mustangs. I just saw a piece on the news the other day and just magnificent, magnificent animals. So it'll be fun to read about that as well. And I like when authors weave their uh, various interests. I know um, that Barbara Conry always has something about Beagle Rescue in her book. So it'll be wonderful to see that in yours as well. Well, in Josie and Vic, Josie has three horses that she leaves behind when she goes to help Vic. She leaves them with her um, equine veterinarian 
and it, they will be communicating um, by email and phone, and then and a relationship will start to develop. Whether it goes anywhere or not, I, you, well, you have to read it to see. But the three horses are the horses that I've had in my life, and I wanted to convey their personalities and that special bond. And so it's a small part of the novel, but I did weave in that part of my life. So. And I love when that happens. Um, your stories are so well told. I, I want our readers to uh, remember again, Lose, which is over your shoulder. The cover of um, Josie and Vic is over your shoulder as well in the form yes, of a painting. Just absolutely stunning. That's a quilted wall hanging that a friend made. It's just stunning. And I like to end my interviews, we're almost out of time, with something quirky. And I usually have to ask Deborah what something quirky is about you. But in my research for today, I found out that you are a rock fairy. So talk <laughs> about being a rock fairy, please, as we close out today. Well, it started when my daughter, who is, you know, a very modern, um, you know, uh, cultured woman, and someone left a painted rock on her doorstep and she was so bubbly and excited like a little girl. And I, and then there was a thing on the news, all these people that were just so moved by someone leaving these painted rocks on their doorsteps. And so I, I started Googling it and I said, well, I'm going to do that. So I, I learned how to, it's called dotting actually, it's not painting. And I create them and I leave them in random places with uh, just a little card that uh, they're ma mandalas. And I, I say, it's, you know, whole, about wholeness and harmony and may this bring peace to you. And, you know, they don't know who it's from. Uh, they just find it. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. Well, the best actor there's, knows there's that we don't, the background right there. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> yes. So the best acts of kindness are those that we don't take a lot of credit for, but I thank you for the kindness of being on the radio show today. You've been oh. a great storyteller. Thank you, Deborah. Oh, thank you so much, Grace. This has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. Take care. You too. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.